Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Our submission window closed at the end of August, and Scott, Seth, and Drew are nearly done sorting through submissions, and it looks like we did get about another half a year worth of stories that we felt were fit to air here on Tales to Terrify, which was our goal. If you submitted a story and haven't heard back yet, sit tight. They're nearly done with all of their work. I will also remark that if you are an author who dabbles in the particularly short, short stories, we'll be continuing to accept submissions for some time. The Moksha submission platform is currently closed, so if you've got some scary words typed up and they count less than 2,000, we'll accept the submissions. But remember, those are the ones that we currently don't pay for. Send them our way and we'll keep our eyes open for them. We're looking forward to getting those stories to our generous narrators and then out to your ears. Also, I have the recording environment that I want back and better than ever with some new sound baffling. As I said last week, I was quite unhappy with the quality of recording that I was getting when I was working outside of the space that I liked. My final bit, before we get to what you came here for, the stories, is that a few weeks ago I mentioned that I played the new Doom video game, and if you're into action games and scary stuff, it was the right pick for you. I'll add to that list the new video game, Prey. I won't spend all day talking about it, but I enjoy the storyline, which does deal on the themes of what it means to be a person, which is a theme I do enjoy exploring, and it holds the distinction of being one of the few video games that I've ever played that made me genuinely anxious. You see, in the game, there are many alien creatures that can take the form of things in the game's environment, then lay in wait to ambush you. Because of that, chairs, planters, items to pick up, coffee cups, all of these things could be a deadly alien life form waiting for the hapless, which builds a tremendous amount of distrust about the very space in which the game takes place. I didn't think I'd enjoy the game as much as I did. I picked it up for 60 bucks American, and then three or four days later it went on sale for about half of that. 
so hopefully you'll have a better luck on getting the game at a bit of a discount. Let's hear some fiction. Rich Larson was born in West Africa, has studied in Rhode Island, and worked in Spain, and now writes from Ottawa, Canada. His short work has been featured on io9, translated into Chinese, Vietnamese, Polish, and Italian, and appears in numerous years' best anthologies along with most pro-paying science fiction markets. He was the most prolific author of short science fiction in 2015 and 2016. Listen with me to Rich Larson's The Blurry Man. It was a sunny morning, and inside its slick plastic, the blood was lit a brilliant carmine. Five bags hung from the underside of a street lamp like a child's mobile, all strained to breaking. They wobbled and shivered in the cool carbon air. Beyond the hazard tape that delineated Edmonton's newest crime scene, children were playing a chanting game. Run, run, fast as you can. You don't want to play with the blurry man. He'll catch you and cut you and pull out your guts. You can't get away from the blurry man. Traffic had slowed to navigate the crowd of onlookers, and homicide had to bully their way through. By the time Shadrach climbed out of the car, the blood bags were being scanned and taken down. Barbier was waiting for him with a tablet tucked under one arm. Guess who, he said. Fuck. Just the blood again? He put the entrails in a little pile underneath. Barbier nodded his head at a stain on the concrete. He's got a real sense of artistry, our unsub-19, and you're supposed to be on fucking leave, man. Shadrach shaded his eyes and cast around for the relevant cameras. Show me the footage. You know what you'll see. I know, Shadrach said. Show me. It was like all the others. Unsub-19 was a tall man, spindly, and he moved as if he were underwater. The angles of his body looked incorrect inside a black jacket, like chicken bones stuffed in a garbage bag. Shadrach watched him pull the first sack of blood from under his coat, smoothly, almost daintily. His face, as always, was a pixelated mess. Shadrach froze the picture and stared until his eyeballs ached. There wasn't a single feature to extract. Mouth, eyes, nose, all had been perfectly blurred by a skilled hacker. Some people thought it was Unsub-19 himself who had beaten the system. Smart money was on one or multiple accomplices. Like the last one, Shadrach said, kneading pink eyes, down to the molecule. You're not still watching them, are you? Man, it's not going to help. I'll stop when he stops. Who was the victim? Barbier considered for a second before replying, Yeah, this Harris kid. And Nassi Harris, you know the drill, right? We checked the system. His phone stopped bouncing data at 11.38 last night. Some cameras put him in the LRT station. Looks a little lost, a little tired, maybe on something. Who knows? Then on sub-19, slides in, and then the cameras start cutting out. How do you get the LRT cameras? It's a closed loop. Fuck if I know. Same way he shorts out the victim's phone, hacks the street cameras, butchers a body every month without leaving a shred of DNA on everything. It's like a ghost. A project we talked about? Yeah. Barbara paused. Yeah, I linked you to it. It's a wide net, man. Really wide. Camera feeds drop off for an hour here, hour there. It's electronic air. Happens all the time. The chances of it being our unsub committing murder are fucking, like, minuscule. I know. And we don't have the people to check out every dropped camera feed, Barbier said. Especially not you. You need to sleep, man. Still having problems. 
You try those pills I gave you? I tried them, Shadrach said, rubbing at his face again. Doesn't stop the dreaming. An electronic bleat knifed his eyes open. Shadrach had flicked out on the couch with Red Bull cans around his feet and his fingers half curled on an amber glass. His fallen laptop showed a sea of camera feeds from all over the city. They glowed sickly green on his skin, deepening the bags under his eyes. He leaned over to look with his head still fragmented by whiskey. There was a fresh notification sitting on a stack of Violet's vitrolic messages. A street camera across from the Corona LRT had dropped off. Shadrach hauled himself up and the darkroom careened. He stared valerily at the screen, then dug his phone from the couch's cracks. His thumb pulled up a map. The LRT station was only ten minutes away. Shadrach went unsteadily to the bathroom. His doppelganger was haggard, glass-eyed. He knew what Barbier would think of him chasing after a busted camera in the middle of the night. He knew that Violet would feel justified. The fluorescent sputtered, and his reflection jumped slightly. Shadrach knew it wasn't worth it. He rubbed a thumb along his gums and fumbled the drawer for a floss to pick the wreckage out of his teeth. His hand found Violet's toothbrush and dropped it. The dream started to come back to him. He left the bathroom and began hunting for his coat in the dark. The street looked wrong. Lamp posts leaning at slight angles with their shadows oddly truncated. Grainy orange light spilled on the tarmac like pools of vomit. Shadrach knew it was the alcohol and soporific cocktail that was tipping the stairs under his feet and playing tricks on his eyes, but he still felt disjointed, uneased. He took a shortcut through the manicured slice of park wedged between his apartment and Main Street. The fake wrought iron gates were permanently open. Dead trees marked for removal sucked up all the artificial light. It was cold now, the damp kind, and when his foot strayed onto the grass, it came away wet. The chilled air was slowly cutting his buzz to pieces. There was someone in the park, some amalgamation of spidery limbs clad all in black, moving in a slow, solemn dance. It ate through the last of the dopamine insulation, and Shadrach stopped, crouched. He reached past his phone for the less familiar weight in his pocket. The black figure danced under the bony trees, and Shadrach's hand went slimy with sweat on the glock, and his heart rattled up his throat. And then he looked closer and saw a blue backpack slung across the dancer's shoulders and earphones trailing from under a knit hat. A drunk uni student. Main Street was curfew empty. Shadrach walked faster against the cold, zipping his jacket up to his mouth. The evening's revelers had already stumbled home or passed out where they were. Twenty-four-hour advertisements mumbled nonsense, white noise. One ambulance and then another shrieked by. Not his responsibility. He couldn't be responsible for everything, she'd said. A billboard lost power as he passed, its scrolling text suddenly flooded by black ink. The LRT station was close now. Shadrach could see its cement gullet and backlit signs. There were deep shadows under the geometric lettering. He only knew what was in them from memory. A selection of waste cans, a ticket booth, an art deco bench from some forgotten rejuvenation project. As he watched, something detached itself from the dark and drifted down the subway stairs. All stretched, no trace of drunken weave. Shadrach found his phone again and pulled up the map of feeds he'd linked to. The station still showed its scattering of green dots, watching over the night shift workers riding the trains and cleaners scrubbing at teenage tags. Then the camera over the entrance blinked out, and Shadrach broke into a half-run. 
The strong chemical smell made him stop at the top of the stairs. He gagged. He triangulated. The lid of the waste can scraped away, and then Shadrach was staring down at his skinned raw elbow, a blue-purple throat, a scarlet tunnel into an anatomy book. Shadrach pelted down the stairs as the train's doors hissed shut. His feet clattered loud on the tile, his hands smacked on glass. First window, an old man leaning on his tired reflection. Second window, nobody, just hand loops shivering like tiny nooses. Third window, a young woman with red hair plugging herself into headphones. Fourth window, his own warped reflection. Then the train was sliding too quickly and he only saw flashes of antiseptic yellow. Shit! Shadrach gutted the word from his stomach. It bounced around the hollow space and came back to him. He punted the nearest seat hard enough to dent. He'd been close. He'd been close. He'd been close. The light began to flicker. Fluorescent tubes along the vacated track coughed and blinked and drew his eyes. A black jacket was disappearing down the tunnel. Shadrach knew before he checked his screen. There was no more live cameras in the station. The map showed only empty space. And then his phone went dead and showed nothing at all. He replaced it with a gun before he dropped down over the edge. His shoe crunched and squealed. The lights went out completely. Shadrach studied his breathing, listened for footfalls. He heard nothing. One hand found the grimy wall of the tunnel, and then he began to stagger forward. Gun clutched tight. The air was still cold, but it was a dry cold now, like something desiccated. Chemicals were singing through his body, speeding his heart. The lights returned, and Shadrach saw him. Unsub-19 was even taller than he looked on footage. Taller and almost skeletal. Marfan's syndrome, maybe. He moved with that strange grace, those smooth steps that Shadrach had watched ad nauseum. He was tossing pebbles over his shoulder, one by one. They clattered and bounced, and Shadrach recognized the off-white, the pink tint of pulled teeth. The lights choked off again. Shadrach kept moving, slowly gun-cupped in both hands. His spine was thrumming. He could end it properly. Here in the deserted tunnel, there would be no investigations, not for unsub-19. The lights blinked on, and the unsub was close now, still unaware. Shadrach felt a thick, fierce heat in his head, and he knew that he'd made the right choice and done the right things. Fuck what Violet said. Shadrach leveled the gun with wolfish calm. He could drill the black jacket between its shoulder blades. Three quick shots, to be sure, but he needed to see a face. Stop where you are, he said. Turn around, you piece of shit. Unsub-19 turned casually. Casually and above the neck of his jacket there was nothing but a wash of pale pixels. The light flickered out, and Shadrach fired blind in the dark. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That was Rich Larson's The Blurry Man, previously published in Things We Can Create from Stone Tree Publishing, as read by me. Link to my personal page will be in the show notes. Our second story comes to us from James Doerr. James Doerr is an Indiana, USA short story writer and poet, specializing in dark fantasy and horror, with forays into mystery and science fiction. His The Tears of Isis was a 2014 Bram Stoker Award finalist for superior achievement in a fiction collection, while other books include Strange Mistresses, Tales of Wonder and Romance, Dark Loves, Tales of Mystery and Regret, and his all-poetry Vamps, a retrospective, as well as his latest, Tombs, a chronicle of latter-day times of Earth, a novel in stories published by Elder Signs Press in June 2017, an active member of SFWA and HWA. He has more than 500 individual fiction and poetry appearances in books and journals from Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine to Yellow Bat Review. Lend me your ears for James Doerr's In the Octopus's Garden. I remembered pain, red pain, a sound of thunder crashing around my ears, blackness and brightness, words and expressions. I tried to make sense of them. Desert sand, beaches, desalination, meetings in darkness, meetings at nighttime, and over and over I heard a name, Gallagher which I recognized, which was my own name, then clankings and scrapings as if on a concrete floor, metal on concrete, a weight, a chain, heavy. My legs wrapped around them, my shoulders, another chain, blackness and brightness, as if a long tunnel stretching endlessly through a dark void, yet leading to brightness. A warmth and a joyous feel of completion. I knew of this, somewhere of where I was, what I was. But then a splashing sound. Then darkness. Nothing. I woke to this new darkness swirling around me, a phrase sticking in my mind, Lazarus Syndrome. What happened to people when they had died, but for some reason, some lack of death's completion, some not finished business, had rejoined the living. But there should be doctors, others around me to help 
pull me through. But all there was was darkness and a dull background pain chafing against my flesh. Had I felt chains before? Memories were fleeting. Somewhere, I thought, perhaps I had been a doctor, or maybe a chemist. A specialist of some sort, maybe, but memories were drifting from me. I tried to hold them back. Had I been killed, then? I tried to hold that back, that single thought, that I, perhaps, had been killed. Shot in the head, maybe. That was the thunder. Shot from behind when I'd gone, at night, to an assignation. A meeting with someone. The docks of a city, or no, not the harbor, but farther. Closer to its private beaches, the town's water plant, where the ocean was cleaner, the salt removed from it, the chemicals put in, a place of shadows, of secrets, of crannies, and assignations. I tried to hold to the thought, who was I meeting? But always the water. The place sloshed with water. I heard the water. The place of the meeting, the place where I was now, a new sound of water. And memories went from me. I tried to hold on. If I hadn't died, I was here for a reason. I felt muscles stiffen as... Then I realized... Who said I had not died? And yet I was here, feeling the gases of decomposition begin to slowly collect in my body. I felt my bowels loose, smelling the stench and the water around me. I felt my eyes bulging. My eyes were open, and far above, far ahead, there was a new light, but that of a morning sun on the sea's surface. Around me, as light came, I saw brilliant colors, pinks and oranges of a coral reef, blues and aquamarines and purples, the greens of sea plants, the crystal delicateness of medusas, transparent jellyfish, drifting toward the shore at the tide's turning. And somewhere, an itching, a sort of tickling. I didn't know what from, but least I knew this, that I had been dumped to rot in the ocean. I slept, I woke, I felt gases swell in me, then burst forth from my ears and my anus. I still weighted down with iron chains. I felt no sense of time, not of its passage. Time works differently here in the ocean, but only of cycles, only beginnings, as that of the beach that bordered the ocean. The swimmers by bright hours from the resort beach, the one close to townspeople. I recognized human forms, male and female. Despite my death, I was still human-formed, too. At least for those first cycles, even if covered with deep blue-green blotches, enlarged to pustules, spreading to blisters, the flesh tinging purple. 
day cycles, week cycles. We did keep no count, except on what seemed its own regular cycle too. One female form in a red thong bikini would swim above me, frolicking in the warm ocean water. And one time I realized I had an erection, then felt more tickling, the tickling of before, when I realized a fish was devouring me, sucking fluids out of me as far above me the cherry thong glistened, separating white pumping buttocks as she swam on her back. Little realizing what watched below her. And also my lips, my eyelids, my tongue were plagued by the tickling, and this time straining. I saw the tiny crabs crawling sideways across my splitting flesh. Watched as skin loosened, peeled. And I saw from crab eyes myself eat my own body in tiny nibbles. Week cycles, month cycles. Crabs, too, sense no time. But I, in an act of will, learned to project myself into these crabs' minds. Into the shrimp that browsed my putrescence that had been my fingers. Loosening the nails to get at the soft meat that lay beneath them. Never in anything that didn't taste of me, but in those things that did. One crab, many crabs, fleets of crabs I became. Crabs and shrimp and schools of bright-colored fish, brighter than even the thong bikini that still on its schedule of surface cycles would visit my ocean. And then I knew fear again. Once a dim memory, a dim lost memory of what may have been before. But now, with crab's minds, a devouring panic as shadowed spokes wheel-like blotted the ocean floor. Chittering, screaming as crabs might scream, I dispersed my multiple-bodied oneness, then stretched my mind out to those fish that had tasted too, one in particular that I remembered well. Seeing, above now, the reef and its carpet of brightly twisting tentacled polyps, and more of tentacles as, from below, I felt as a human. Above, I saw as a fish, as a crab felt terror all-encompassing. The octopus, wheeling, darting, feeling the shredded flesh remnants of myself as human corpse, then darting further, propelled on a water stream out of its mantle, to strike out at crab kind. And I learned the law of ocean creatures, to eat and be eaten. The law of all living things. And felt myself devoured in myriad crab bodies, and felt myself dart up toward the surface, radiating 14-inch tentacles sweeping through the water behind me. Myself as king, king in this part of the ocean, Small yes in human terms, but of a world of miniature crab and shrimp, fish no larger than Irish shillings, eight-inch sea anemone forests that carpeted the living cragged coral, an emperor of giants indeed. And saw, amazingly, out of an eye that was even more sharply developed than human, the white female form in its cherry-red thong swimsuit, paddling slowly 
across the surface, and I recognized her. A day cycle, week cycle, now is the octopus, eater of eaters. I recognized her, came to remember her, came to recall her form straddling my own as we wrestled together, human on human, lips pressing lips and chest against chest, on sweaty sheets in an apartment bedroom. Looking up, seeing the slowly turned fan on its ceiling radiating its own octopus limbs. But after that, nothing. Except that I knew now my fascination, the thong suit I'd bought her, fascination even as octopus, wondering if I might reach with a tentacle, press it where once hands pressed, where... But I couldn't, wondering if as crab I might pinch where once my human fingers had pinched her, gently, excitingly, and knew I couldn't, unless I concentrated all thought I could gather into a single ball, into my old body, into an act of will, willing myself to rise out of the chains whose weight still pressed me to the bottom. I felt Muscles tearing. What was left of muscles? Bones scrape against bones. Slowly. Searingly. Even as tendons. What was left of tendons. Disintegrated into the water. I felt myself as a cloud of bacteria. Rising like smoke to the ocean surface. Just as I heard a scream. Felt its vibrations. As hands, strong man's hands, reached from a boat's side to pull her up from my grasp. Felt a voice. Jesus, is that where you dumped him? My God, that stench. Felt another voice answer. The tide must have pulled him out. Caught the body against the reef somehow. But don't worry, Magda. Even if someone does find him at this point... There's not enough left to identify who he is. And now I knew her name. Now I remembered it. Magda. My Magda. Dark curly hair. Legs sinewed and supple. Sheets twisted around us. And now, in my human flesh, what was left of it? I felt myself also as feasting microbes which, through my will's action, I formed once more into the shape of a human. I felt flesh memories of larger fish eating my legs, my stomach, an eel twisting into the space of my ribcage. And these I brought to me, using my will to have them swim for me, to follow the boat's shape past the city's desalination plant where I'd been murdered. That memory came back, too. The memory of meeting, of Magda's panicked call, begging me to meet her at the plant in the deepest of the shadows of its maze-like corridors. Her lips on mine there, whispering of threats, of information, of foreign secrets, of payments, and yet of other payments, too, as she pulled from me, as I heard the thunder, as metal crashed through my spine, pain above pain, and yet 
unfinished business. As spinning, I saw a man's hand grab a pistol, smoke from its orifice, strong man's hands lowering it to the table, then calling other men who came with heavy chains. The first man, kissing, and I recognized him. I do not remember the circumstances, who was in whose pay, which was which nation, who were the good guys and who the bad guys, as I remembered now that we once used to say. None of that mattered. None does when one is dead. Communists, neo-communists, fascists, running dog capitalists, left and right wingers, these are just phrases. Like desert sand, beaches, shifting in wind and water and tide, not in time, but beginnings. Like death in its cycle. But unimportant. Not the incompletion that brought one back from death. Even when it was too late for the body to be revitalized, when it was weighted and thrown in the ocean to rot, to disintegrate, to wash in pieces onto the beach of a whole city, baking in sunlight during its day cycles, moonlight at nighttime, of tourists and swimmers. His name was Hansen, the one who had shot me the one who had paid Magda to betray me. I'd known him also when she'd introduced him, claiming to me that he was her half-brother. And I knew who'd paid him, and that didn't matter. Nor did it either that he was fucking her now instead of me, in my own bed, in my own apartment, under the ceiling fan, that his strong fingers explored what was once mine, Oh, yes, I recalled how she looked at him then, after he had shot me. While others wrapped chains around my body to keep it from floating. The kiss. The whispers. And even that might have allowed me to die in peace. But one thing did matter. That I had trusted. And on the ocean's floor my octopus form fought a small shark that dared to invade its anemone garden, and almost defeated it. And I knew then what I had left to do. One cycle, two cycles. Magda no longer swims in the ocean, not in this part of it, but at the public beach I have seen her. As flying fish eaters of flesh-eating shrimp, I have skimmed the water, and as the last of my human form carry on dissolved in the ocean's cleansing current, mixing in water and minerals and microbes, in salt and bacteria, memories grew stronger. The desert. The sand. The city between the sand and the ocean. The infrastructure. The piping and conduits. Once, in a past existence, apparently I had made maps of these things. The beaches, the harbor, and all of me, still one, a chemical form now, still held by strength of will, unfinished business. I thought as an octopus. As I had seen between the beach and the harbor, 
a screened duct too small for fish to swim into, but not for microbes, and in a long pipe, as long as the void of death, water flows through chlorine, purifying it, courses through filters and chemical baths that desalinate it, yet no process ever takes everything out, especially not the will. Once of a living man, that once even took into its own grasp the nervous system of a small shark, causing it to swim and thrash and to dart at swimmers at the public beach, sending them panicking out of the water. Even then, following into the shallows until it itself was destroyed on the shore. One more betrayal. And one more reforming as pipes once more widen to tanks for cooling. A will re-coalescing, an unfinished business that courses to brightness, a warmth, a promise of final completion, a taking of water throughout the city, and eyes above, scouting those of seabirds that live eating small fish, a will that may force any inanimate being, once it is ingested, to do what it might have even to tear itself limb from limb, however obscene the thing, to tear a lover, betray or betrayal, to eat or be eaten, to eat and be eaten, however obscene the thing. As a flash of red, thong against buttocks, a screaming, a running, all in a mind's eye I see, encompassing, realizing well that no creature living cannot drink water. I search first for Magda. That was James Doerr's In the Octopus's Garden, originally published in 69 Flavors of Paranoia, March-April 1999, as read by Jake Wachholz. Jake Wachholz has finally found his career path in education and completed his first year of teaching this past year, where he taught special education math. His hobby is hobbies, and now that includes reading horror stories for tales to terrify. He lives in Ohio with his wife, daughter, and dog, Tur. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editor Scott Silk and associate editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.